0: Woo! the dream, reality for the Green Bay Phoenix. The 18-year drought is history. The Green Bay Phoenix are going to the NCAA Tournament.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fear the Phoenix podcast. My name is Brian Dickman, and I've got my guy Jim Serro here with me to Help me talk through what has been an eventful last few days, to say the least. Uh, We saw Green Bay's season end in crushing fashion with a double overtime loss to Purdue-Fort Wayne on Thursday, followed by the news that sensational sophomore Amari Davis would be entering the transfer portal less than 24 hours after the season ended. We're going to talk about that game and the ensuing roster turnover that's taking place, but first things first, Jim, we've had the weekend now to kind of collect our thoughts and process what happened. Uh, just to start it off, how are you feeling? You know, like overall, what's what's going through your mind after what's been a really kind of crazy last few days?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that happened in a short period of time. You think about uh, being a Phoenix fan oftentimes can be sleepy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, things were all pretty much unscathed for long periods of time. And to, to have that loss and then to have the, you know, the portal fire up, it was a lot, but you know what? I am uh, when it comes to the Green Bay, Phoenix men's basketball. I am a glass overflowing guy all the time. So uh, yes. I'm all right. That's you guys are too.
1: Right. That's we're, that's what we're here for. We're gonna we're gonna talk people off the ledge. We're gonna we're gonna talk through it all. You know, for people that don't really follow the program closely, I'm, I'm sure it kind of feels like uh, that old Vince Lombardi clip. It's a little more nuanced than that, so so let's try to make sense of it all, starting with that last game that that I just mentioned before. On Thursday night, Green Bay loses 89-84 in a first-round upset in the Horizon League tournament against Purdue-Fort Wayne. Uh, Jim, this was a team that Green Bay handled pretty easily back in January. They won twice, you know, in in pretty convincing fashion. Um, So obviously kind of when I saw that matchup, um, I, I was pretty excited. I thought Green Bay got a good matchup there, but obviously not the case.
2: Yeah, I was with you, Brian. I was like, oh, man, this is perfect. Of, of all the teams they could have played, uh, they got the team that they matched up the best with at home and, you know, just didn't work out that way. Like the what worked against them when they swept them back in January uh, did not work for them in this game here in the Horizon League tournament. Um, in particular right, yeah. shooting was awful for Fort Wayne in February, <laughs> right. and they were 10 of 21 against Green Bay on Thursday night for 47.6% whereas Green Bay went 4 of 14 for 28.6% so I mean that was a big key to the game that worked for them when they swept them and went against them this time.
1: Yeah I was just gonna say start, sorry for stepping on you there but um, I was just gonna say Purdue Fort Wayne this whole year they've been Good at shooting and really bad at turning the ball over, so you kind of figured those are two things that Green Bay was able to to capitalize on when they played them earlier in the year, and that's what they needed to do this time. And you mentioned the shooting; Uh, they so that they had that going for them, and they only turned the ball over 12 times. So, um, just not a recipe for success, unfortunately. Um, I will say it was a really awesome game if you were, you know, a casual fan. 11 lead changes eight ties. Uh, Green Bay's largest lead was eight, I think with about 10 and a half minutes left. Uh, Purdue comes, or Purdue Fort Wayne, sorry. They come back and tie it up with I think around five minutes left. And it's kind of back and forth there um, until the end of regulation. Green Bay had a chance to win it there at the end of regulation. Then we went to overtime where the shot that it's going to be in my brain for a while happens. Uh, What was your thought? Jim when you saw that shot go in at the end of the first overtime there
2: what shot I I drank that one out of my memory already Brian
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah all kidding
2: aside I mean uh, yeah you know the thing that that particular shot it's interesting because like I mentioned the three-point shooting was uh 10 for 21 and that was obviously one of the 10 but uh Billups was four for four he was 35.4 percent coming in Horton was two for three. He was thirty-three point three percent. Godfrey went zero for five from deep, and Pipkins, prior to hitting that, was one for five. So he went two for six in the game, and the one, the the biggest one he made was a ridiculous off balance shot that uh, you know really is something. I guess you can kind of live with in terms of they contested it. He was you know falling down to his left, and he banked it in. I mean, like that's just bad luck more than anything.
1: Yeah. And it was out of a timeout, and it looked like Green Bay kind of knew what they were going to be running because they they did switch. Um, Kellogg was right up in his face, and, yeah, like you just said, it it went in somehow. Um, You know, Will Ryan was asked after the game. He he brought it up on his own, actually, uh, talking about fouling when you're up three. It's kind of a, a debate. Do you foul? Do you not foul? I guess it's not my DNA
0: to fall. It, it, it crosses your mind as a coach, since we only had 17 falls at the time, but we guarded it. We knew we had a feeling what they're going to run. We switched, we guarded it as well as you possibly could. Uh, Lucas, I told him, I said, don't, don't beat yourself up for it. Cause he all, he thought about diving on the, it was kind of a loose ball it was a broken play. We switched. And then, I mean, kid hits a slop shot. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's the way the game goes, I guess. And Japan was right there in his face and banks it in. Now, if, if they weren't in the bonus, we would have fouled. Like if we only had four or five fouls, and then you try to get him to take a couple of dribbles and then foul just so they have to inbound the ball again. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things, you know, people, I'm not an analytics guy. So, you know, it can happen both ways. You foul, kid goes a line, maybe makes the first one, then he misses on purpose, gets bounced out to three, and then they hit the game winner. So, yeah, I, I just go with a no foul and play great defense and try to get the stop.
1: Jim, do you have a a preference in that battle or are you just kind of, you know, situational?
2: You know, I I tweeted this after the game on Friday morning, like last year uh, in Oakland in a very close game. Green Bay was up three, committed a fall, though it didn't look like they wanted to. But they committed a fall against Oakland, who uh, made the first and executed a really nice miss and put back play to send that game into overtime or double overtime. And so, you know, people say, well, you should definitely follow there. And we just lived through getting a gut punch last season where, you know, following up three didn't work. I actually appreciated uh, Coach Ryan's reason for not following when I believe the quote he said was something about it's in his DNA. Like when you're trying to instill the idea that we are going to be a defensive oriented basketball team and we are going to come up with stops. You know, he was going with the we're not following because good teams get stops. And that's setting the precedent for what he wants this program to be, maybe more so than what it is right now in terms of being a good defensive team, but setting the precedent for what we're going to do as a program going forward. So, yeah, it didn't work, but I like the reason why he went that direction as opposed to the following up three. And, uh, you know, as a fan, I can kind of live with that, especially if he can back that up, you know, you know, with uh, the players that we have going forward, if they can back that up. I can live with that. Being a defensive team is what I'm talking
1: about. Right. Yeah, he also mentioned um, he's not an analytics guy, but I I did look it up, and our good friend Ken Palm did a study. It's kind of old now. It's from 2013. But he found that uh, teams that don't foul win 94.1% of the time and teams that do foul win 93.3% of the time. So, I mean, it's not really that big of a difference um, either way so well you know
2: and it's the other thing about that too brian is that it's like many things it's like a bad call from an official during the game or at the end of the game you remember the one at the end of the game but there's so many other things along the way that you know if you're getting down to that point where you're only up three there's a lot of other reasons and a lot of other things that we could nitpick about and say well you should have done this you should have done that uh but this is the one that gets all the um attention because it's now is it a you know, heartbreak or, you know, not only did it hurt, but it was a sports center type 10 type
1: play or top 10 type yeah. play. Right. Yeah. And, you know, just watching it back, you could kind of see the, the body language was a little bit uh, down after that shot goes in. There's some hands on heads, some, some, uh, you know, some heads are down and it kind of showed because Purdue Fort Wayne got out to a quick six point lead there in the second overtime, but then Green Bay comes down and, they cut it to one and they have three empty possessions where they could have taken the lead. I think for me, that's probably the more frustrating thing obviously than uh, a miracle banking shot at the buzzer. And then, you know, even after those empty possessions, they're still only down three and they have two more opportunities, but they can't get anything to go down. Yeah. Jared Godfrey seals it at the line and that's all she wrote.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was 85, 84, and Green Bay had the ball, and uh, P.J. missed a three. Then it was Manny got a foul and missed both free throws. Then Amari came down and missed a, a jumper, and P.J. came down and missed another three. That was the last four possessions for Green Bay in double overtime. You know, they went from down six to down one, but never got over the hump in double overtime. Uh, but, you know, the, honestly, the play that you know stands out in that game, to me, if you're going to, like, isolate one play – and say, oh, man, there, there's the gut punch. It was end of regulation. Uh, Godfrey had the ball. They set a high ball screen with uh, Rock Petty, and Petty rolls to the hoop, and there's no nobody there. You know Kellogg and whoever was on the ball, I think it was uh, maybe Amari Davis were on the ball. They went with Godfrey, and there was no help, and they just dumped it into him for an easy dunklet. And the reason that play stands out to me is, like, that has been the bugaboo for Green Bay defense all season was – you know pick and roll at the top of the key and uh, when they needed it most they did not get a stop out of that uh, out of that action and that right. to me that hurt a lot more than Pipkin's banking in a three uh because they haven't like that kind of stuff hasn't happened to Green Bay all the time but pick and roll defense breaking down that has happened a lot so that that's the play that's actually the biggest gut punch when you know you needed a stop and couldn't get it that that one hurt more to me
1: Yep. Yeah, PJ Pipes, Amari Davis, they basically played the entire game, uh, 47 and 48 minutes respectively. With Josh Jefferson was out with an apparent hand injury. Um, Manny Ansong played big minutes, scored 18 points, grabbed seven rebounds. Japana Kellogg continued his run of solid play, chipping in eight points and five rebounds. So, you know, after the game, I thought Will Ryan had some really interesting comments just kind of regarding the roster makeup and what the future might hold saying some guys needed to do some soul searching and basically saying, you know, some guys need to take a look in the mirror and try and figure out if they, they really want to be in green Bay.
0: Yeah. We'll have our individual meetings with the guys here, uh, probably sometime early next week, just to get a, a gauge of where some of these guys are at and what they're thinking. Uh, I I feel like we've bonded and and with the coaching staff, we have a good relationship with these guys, but let's face it. I mean, it's college basketball kids. We didn't recruit these guys and they recruited to a different style. So I told them to do some soul searching to to, figure out if this is where they want to be. Um, not that, you know, I'm trying to send anybody packing. It's just, that's the way of the world. And, uh, you know, I hope everybody comes back and, you know, is, they're ready to get better and get get ready to work when we have our spring workouts, which will then uh, springboard us into the summer. And before you know it, we're right back at it in the fall. So, yeah, there's, there's guys will have to take a long, hard look in the mirror and uh, figure out what their next steps are and where they want to be.
1: And apparently, some guys did just that because by Friday afternoon, there were already three guys in the transfer portal, and another one joining them on Saturday. So, Jim, we can just kind of talk about these guys that have made their intentions known so far. Because, I mean, as we record this, you know, who, might, who knows things might be different by the time anyone listens to this tomorrow. But yeah, um okay.
2: No. No so, Hold yeah, on, Brian. Let me refresh my Twitter feed real quick to see if anything. Yeah, no kidding. We started recording. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before I want to like pick up on that for a second with all those minutes, um, depth was a major issue in this game, quite frankly. And when you think about it, like I had said this to you during the game, Green Bay opened the game up 10 to 2, you know, got in the bench, went to the bench, Japan got gotten foul trouble and they were down at the half. And they come out back with their starters at the beginning of the second half and go on like a 13 nothing run to take a lead and you know then subs start coming in and guys are in foul trouble you in Japan they battle foul trouble like i thought they should i would have brought him back at six minutes um you know left in the in regulation coach wait till about four i think but you know you needed that guy to be there for the whole game and he was in foul trouble and they were battling that and so like they had no depth and now with what's moving going forward depth is going to be a real issue because of the you know some of the names that are in the portal uh right now obviously the two big ones um you know, in the portal, but do you want to run through each of the guys kind of one by one and just, you know?
1: Yeah, we'll just tick through them quick. Yeah. Yeah. So the first guy that uh, the the news came out from was uh, Josh Jefferson, the senior who will have one season left uh, to play somewhere else. Um, My notes here, I wrote, it's significant, but not unexpected. I mean, even, you know, back in October when the NCAA ruled that everyone gets that extra season, I think it was, probably 50 50 at best. Um, you know, this is the third time he's been in the transfer portal in the last three years, I think. So, I mean, you know, there's also the telltale sign of a transfer when you're promoting a highlight video on social media, um, even before the season's over. So, um, but yeah, from my notes, I wrote significant, but not unexpected. What What are your thoughts?
2: You know, Josh is a – when he, he has – at the highest of highs, he is awesome. And at the lowest of lows, he's frustrating. But, um, you know, it's, it's certainly the kind of guy that, you know, there's 14.8 14, 14. 8 points that are, you know, walking away, 56 assists that are walking away, which is, you know, second or third highest on the team. So there's some production to be uh, filled. he struggled with some injuries this year. in In games, like he's the kind of guy that could just get ridiculously hot but not necessarily string together four or five good games in a row. Uh, you know, a guy that's as great of a shooter as he is, I mean, he's got a beautiful stroke. He can get space to get a shot up, but he was 38.8% on a uh, field goal shooter for the year. So I think that for him, in terms of Green Bay moving forward, I, you know, I think he's going to find a good home. Somebody's going to see his talent and say, yeah, he's he's a guy I'd want to bring in for a year. But for Green Bay moving forward, um, you know, finding somebody that can shoot, 40% on some of those shots or higher, you know, hopefully we're not like looking around going how in the world we're going to score uh, replacing him because he, he wasn't necessarily the most efficient scorer, I guess is where I'm going with that, but still a loss and still a, a, a very good player when he was on, like, he won us some games for sure. Uh, that Northern Kentucky overtime game, that was a uh, gift wrap from uh, Mr. Josh Jefferson himself. And that was
1: awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I noted that as well. He was really important in know a few of the, of Green Bay's victories this year, um, Oakland earlier in the season and then some of the earlier Purdue Fort Wayne games. Um, we're going to talk a lot about, you know, the fit and the style of play and, you know, I guess he didn't really fit in that style, but really getting buckets works in any style. And that's, that was basically what he was just a bucket getter. Um, and, you know, I I did appreciate that he said the right things, at least publicly uh, when he moved into that sixth man role and he was still really productive coming off the bench. So, um, yeah, I guess significant but not unexpected is how I'll, yep. I'll end That's it. Good.
2: That's a good way to put it for Josh.
1: Yeah. So then the next one, um, this one hurt. I mean, no way to sugarcoat, sugarcoat it. uh team's leading scorer, all-horizon league player, potentially be the on the program's Mount Rushmore. Amari Davis is in the transfer portal. Um, you know, Scott Fencey mentioned Amari was on pace to become the program's all-time leading scorer. Um, he even drastically improved defensively this season where he, he went from, a, you know, basically a huge liability to guarding some of the other team's best players this year. And so um
2: guarding the best player on the other team, almost yeah. always at least. I mean, you know, even think of the game against Purdue-Fort Wayne. Um, you know, he was guarding Jared Godfrey a lot of the game, and Godfrey didn't really have that good of a game till late. I mean, Godfrey kind of kept plugging away at it, kept plugging away at it, but he didn't really have a great game. And Amari was on him, and Amari, the, his length and quickness. I mean, he is made to be a good defensive guard in addition to being a great uh, offensive player. And I thought, I'd said this on the Norse Report uh, and podcast I was on, is was like, I actually thought Amari improving on defense was his biggest growth year over year.
1: Yep. Yeah, you know, and, and last year during the coaching change, he came out and announced pretty early that he'd be coming back, which kind of even cemented his fan favorite status even more, you know, in my opinion. Um, but I mean, you know, in, even in the past few years, Green Bay's lost some some good players to the transfer portal, like... Trevor Anderson, Karim cancer, et cetera. But, um, this might be, you know, for me, and we talked about this a little bit, but I, I can't think of a, a more impactful transfer loss in in the program history, but, um,
2: yeah, maybe was, I'm just I, being
1: dramatic right now because <laughs> I'm still hurting.
2: Yeah. I don't think it's being dramatic. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, Amari's another guy that this year wasn't necessarily super efficient, you know, 41% field goal shooter, 28% from deep, um, mm-hmm. uh, But, you know, he's a guy that was taking and making difficult shots. Uh, He's a guy that, you know, it is, you know, when you think about every team at the end of a game has to have a guy that you can give the ball to, and he's going to be able to make something good happen. I mean, he's he's that guy for Green Bay. So it's not just as simple as saying, well, let's find a different guy who can shoot 42% or better and throw him in there. Uh, It's the way Amari could get some of his buckets. And uh, as I had said to you, like, I couldn't think of the two guys I could even remotely compare losing him. And one of these isn't even close. But, you yeah, know, I remember when Terry Parker left after a year or two with Coach Walchuk, and he was on the all-freshman team. I was like, oh, there's a guy that's like a four-year piece that's going to be an all-conference player. And, um, and Chris Seger was the other guy that left after his freshman year. And he was, I think, all-freshman team in a much slower style scoring, like 12 or 13 a game. Those are the only guys that are like – even remotely close in terms of losing them at this point in their career. Uh, all, most of the other young guys that have left weren't, weren't rolling and contributing much of anything in the past. So yeah, this what that one hurt for sure. And the optic of it is bad. If, if nothing else, even if you can replace it, it's still for fans out there who are learning names and liking players. Amari Davis is number one with a bullet. And uh, that's uh that one's going to hurt in the community in terms of building fan interest
1: in the off season. Yeah, I had I had friends text me that don't even really follow Green Bay basketball, and they're like, "What's up with Mari Davis?" And I was like, "How do you even know about that?" <laughs> so, yeah, that's tough. Um, I hope he goes somewhere that he'll still play a lot. You know, not not to like an Ohio State type program, where he'll be like the fourth guy off the bench, playing ten minutes a game. Um, so, where do you think he'll end up if you have to would- wager I guess?
2: I would love to see him playing somewhere like Cincinnati or Virginia Commonwealth, like, you know, programs that play at a little faster clip uh, because that's when Amari's at his best, man. Like, you know, that guy going end to end with the steel or, you know, just getting out for a quick bucket. Like that's, I love seeing him like in those environments. I just can't see him going somewhere that plays like a, super grinding slow style and you know being happy so i hope he gets somewhere that you know that they're gonna get out and run whether i don't know if that's arkansas the world the arkansas of the world or the like i said cincinnati kind of fits that geographically and stylistically but uh, i hope he ends up somewhere good and i'll still follow him and i'll still pay attention because he's still representing green bay nation as far as i'm concerned yeah
1: you know, Hopefully he doesn't end up on scored, Green Bay's schedule.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, every time he scores a bucket or, you know, they're going to say it on ESPN or, you know, whatever, whoever's broadcasting the game, all the Green Bay transfer, because that's how they, you know, talk about guys. They only transfer from Green That will come off every game he plays. So the better he does, the better it represents our brand, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Right. Yep. So that's Amari Davis. Uh, the other two in the portal, uh, Jacob Jones and Demonte Taylor, and, you know, I don't want to crap on guys on their way out of town, but these moves kind of always seem likely to happen just based on, you know, the circumstances, the playing time, the style of play. Um, Jones only played 14 minutes. Taylor played 11 minutes the whole season. So, I mean, both of them were Darna recruits brought to Green Bay for um, really their potential more than anything, I'd say. Um you know, neither of them had a, a another division one offer, I don't think, which obviously that doesn't tell the whole story, but um just kind of noteworthy i'd say I don't yeah. want to say it's no big loss, but they're both buried pretty far down the bench
2: yeah, and you know something that I took note of i don't know the reason behind this. I never really got around to asking anybody that would know, but they stopped traveling to road games after a while, and you know so you just know they weren't going to be playing this particular year. So we really don't have much of a read on them as players. Uh, you know, Jacob's definitely quick. Like when you saw him out there, he, he could move end to end. Um And, you know, at DeMonte, like I, you and I talked about this last year when he committed to green Bay, like his people that, you know, I don't know, it was junior co- or uh, AAU coaches or high school coaches were like doing a last call for junior colleges that might be interested in him as you know, to develop and then he ended up committing to green Bay that day. So it's just like, um, you know, it's it just one of those things that these were guys that, you know, were f- part of a future piece for link Garner's program and definitely probably not the right guys to play a super slow style of basketball for coach Ryan.
1: Right. Yep. So those are the four in the portal as we record right now, uh, like we said, obviously it could be, changing by the minutes, um, there's still a few other, you know, especially the, I don't want, I don't want to say the Darner guys, but the guys that were recruited by Link Darner, like, you know, Paris Taylor, uh, Blayton Williams, Donovan Moore, the Japan Kellogg, Terrence Thompson, those kind of guys, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I don't want to speculate on who's going to stay and who's going to go, but I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that three or four of those guys could be heading out the door. So I'll see. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I hope, uh, I hope, you know, I hope some of these guys are able to find spots that make them, you know, that are a good fit for them if they do decide to leave. But I will say that some of those guys, like I would be really disappointed. Japan as an example, like there's a guy that started kind of lost his way in the middle of the season and down the end of the stretch here. I mean, he was really an important piece for them. He looked great. And you know, he's not, a huge body in terms of his physical size uh, or, you know, like wide shoulders or big muscles. And uh, he's not six ten. And yet I like the UIC game. He was using his body to get to spots and get buckets over Braylon bridges. Like there's a guy that was really coming along. There's a guy with a, a pretty good future and I'd love to see him stay. And, you know, Terrence, he had an up and down year for sure. I mean, he didn't really finish on a hot note with the amount of playing time he was receiving down the stretch. But there's a guy that oozes potential. He showed some drop steps He, for a guy as big as he is. Um, you know, he saw some dunks from that guy. He hit some threes. Like, there's a lot of good stuff there that you'd say. I hope that he stays. Well, obviously, we didn't see much. We didn't see any of Blayton. Donovan got hurt. He uh, only played, like, seven games. Donovan, I, I love Donovan's game. Like, you know, when he was in there, he kept – he stays in front of his man when he's on guarding the ball. Like you do not drive past that guy, and I actually really appreciate that because you know when we talk about good, bad, and ugly things that happened this year, having somebody that can really lock down uh, defensively was a missing piece for Green Bay. So of those, all those guys, I hope that uh, I hope they might see a future in Green Bay. I think there's a lot of opportunity for them, and if they also decide that it's not the right fit for them, I'm not going to be, you know. Uh, talking ill of them and saying, oh, what are you thinking? You're crazy or anything like that. But uh, I hope they find a future in Green Bay, to be honest. I think there's some good pieces there.
1: Right. Yeah, so four in the portal, perhaps more. Uh, you know, you posted something on Twitter the other day um, where you kind of said the, Optivics, the optics of it look bad. Um, and I agree with that. You know, I can't tell you how many tweets I've seen where something somebody says something along the lines of, you know, what's going on in Green Bay or something like that. And, you know, just the fact of the matter is there's a lot of this is to be expected. I mean, it's a completely different coaching staff, completely different style of play, you know, from the player's perspective. And then from the coach's view, they have some guys that, you know, it's completely different personnel than what the staff needs to, to run their system. So, I mean, unfortunately these large scale roster turnovers are pretty common with coaching changes and i'll even say that the decision to to fire link darner late you know in spring early summer last year probably played a role as well because i mean by the time will ryan was hired it was already june so it might have been too late for a lot of these guys to to decommit or transfer out so just kind of you know not entirely shocking to see this kind of roster turnover
2: Yeah, I mean, and some of these guys you kind of alluded to, they didn't have a ton of other offers. So now it it happened late and some of these guys didn't have other choices. And you know what? It seemed like they were all still working hard and playing hard. And even, you know, if it didn't work out the way they wanted it to, I don't think anybody, you know, wasn't trying to make the best of the situation. So whatever the future holds, I commend everybody for that.
1: Right. And, you know, after the initial shock has kind of worn off now on the Amari Amari Davis news, I'm kind of in a wait and see mode. The the coaching staff has a pretty good track record so far in their their short time uh, in Green Bay. They've already found a diamond in the rough like Manny Ansong, and they've got a really good three-man recruiting class coming in. So uh, still too early to panic. Got to give the staff some time to to see what, what they can bring in and, you know, replace all this production. Um, you know, one thing, Jim, we haven't talked about yet was PJ pipes decision. Um, you know, that's kind of up in the air. I do you have a, a, you know, an inkling or a premonition there? Will he return for one more season transfer, play elsewhere, start a pro career? I mean, he would certainly cement his legacy in Green Bay if he were to come back and, and be the senior leader again on a team that will desperately need it next year. You know, you
2: can make a really good case for any of those three alternatives for him, in terms of coming back and having the pathway to be the man on this team. You could say that path is wide open, and he's a guy that you know fits into what Green Bay is doing. He had a really nice year, quite frankly. You know, he had his best year in Green Bay, but he he was just a stud everywhere um, for them, and so the case to be made for coming back is there, and you know the case to be made for going somewhere else and and maybe having a shot at the big dance, you know, for sure, like going to a program that's ready to roll um, with less question marks. I could see that case. And then the case to, if there's, you know, real money for him to be playing somewhere in this world, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's <laughs> compelling too. If have to pay him in Bitcoin, it's even better. So <laughs> um <laughs> All joking aside, like there's a case to be made for any of those. And I don't really have an inkling for what it would be, but I can say as a fan, I would love, in all capitals, love for him to come back to Green Bay and, you know, and take take this team to the NCAA tournament. Like he, I think he's good enough to, to lead the team back to the NCAA tournament. And with the pieces they have coming in and, you know, there's going to be some other good players coming in. I mean, Green Bay, the coaching staff, signed three of the top 10 high school kids in the state they got manny ansong i mean uh the only guy they brought in that didn't contribute a lot yet was uh jem Kircheman, but that's not to say he won't in the future but four out of five thing you know four out of five guys they committed are come that they got to commit have come in and or or look to be guys that are going to come in and do a lot right away so i'm the case to be made for staying is strong in my opinion
1: Right, yeah, and you know, just kind of noteworthy for for nerds like me is he wouldn't count against the thirteen scholarship scholarship limit if he comes back. So um, that's not the case if they if Green Bay were to get like a a different you know grad transfer like a oh I don't know a Storm Murphy from Wofford for example if he would want to come home back to Wisconsin he would count against the thirteen. <laughs> Please, <laughs> I'm going to. Oh man. All right. Well, switching gears a little bit here. Um, I, you know, you mentioned the good, the bad and the ugly from this past season, since we haven't podcasted since December, (laughs) I just thought we'd take a, you know, a quick recap of, of the season that was and kind of talk about things we thought were good and bad and unfortunately ugly. So I don't know, you want to kick it off first with your good. Yeah. You know,
2: because I'm a, uh, glass overflowing guy I've got more good than anything else but uh first thing on the good uh if I'm doing my math correctly they played 25 games they played every conference game and they played 25 games overall they had no COVID pauses related to you know anything going on with their team and in this crazy year where stuff was upside down constantly uh it never really felt like Green Bay had to deal with that Whether you know whether that's you know just being lucky or a little bit of luck and a lot of doing all the right things they got their season in. And, uh, the only game that didn't get in, I mean, unfortunately it was the one game I really wanted them to play, which is the Northern Iowa game, <laughs> um, you know, for multiple reasons because of the return game that was tied to that and other things. But like, that's my first thing on the good. is just like we had a, in the last time we did the podcast was how many games are they going to play? And I was like, Oh, for sure. They're going to get the over on that. And, and they did. And, um, you know, so I'm really happy that way. So that's my first piece of good. Um, Something else I thought was good. You know, they weren't playing at a rocket tempo necessarily, but they averaged 71.6 points per game on 43.5% shooting. Uh, And you could say that this team was pretty good offensively. You know, I think the Ken Palm number had them at uh, 154 on offensive efficiency. And so here's Coach Ryan coming in and, you know, not with a team that he built playing a style that's totally different than what these guys came here to do. And overall on offense, they're pretty darn good at it. So I think that that was really a good thing. And for the guys who, you know, do feel like they're a fit and do decide to stay in green Bay. And the more time we get put into that, like, you know, there's a case to be made for the way green Bay is playing for in the future for us to be that team. I don't want to say like a Butler or, you know, something like that, but like just, isn't going to beat themselves and it's always going to be able to execute and get a good look. And I, I think that's a good sign that in year number one, their offense was pretty good. Um, You know, two other pieces of good that I want to share. I thought guys got better as the season went along, you know, from where they started to where they ended. Like, I, I think a lot of guys got better. Uh, I mentioned, you know, like a Japan Kellogg as an example, like, There's a guy we were relying on at the end of the year. Even think about when Manny started playing against Wright State. I mean, he didn't look that good compared to what he looked like against UIC or Purdue-Fort Wayne. So guys got better. Not just the obvious guys, not just the big three, but the other guys were, you know, some of those guys were getting better. And then the last one I had, even though he's leaving Green Bay, I thought Amari took on the challenge of having to be the lead defensive player in terms of guarding Amari uh, Antoine Davis and guarding Jared Godfrey and guarding some of the best guards in this league. And he did a pretty good job at it. Um, individually speaking, team defense is a different story, but uh, those are my kind of <laughs> my, my goods. Did you have anyone that you want to contribute to that, Brian?
1: Sure. I mean, we had kind of the same idea. I mentioned um, the good for me they only turned the ball over 15.4% of their possessions. That's was 15th in the country, according to Ken Palm. So they're really, really good at taking care of the basketball, Um, you know, not giving up easy runouts and and things like that. So I thought that was awesome. Uh, And then I also mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned the, how players got better. I just think the emergence of Manny Ansong was really cool to see just this diamond in the rough that didn't really have any, even D two offers besides wheeling. And now he's playing division one starting games, you know, multiple highlight dunks. He led the team in rebounding despite being only six, four, you know, that's all effort and and instinct that you can't really teach. And coach Ryan has raved multiple times about just how coachable he is. And, you know, he's only going to get better. I think as he gets more comfortable with the ball in his hands and develops more of an outside game. So um, that was For me, that was really cool to watch. And I also mentioned Kellogg um, because, like you said, he's kind of had an up-and-down season, but he went from a starter at the beginning of the year and then there's a stretch there where he's only playing single-digit minutes. And then the last few games of the season, he was, you know, really good again. So um, definitely a guy I hope sticks around and that kind of size and versatility is going to be good in any system. So, um, yeah. So how about your bat?
2: Well, my bad, uh, I had two on the bad, you know, number one I had was rebounding Uh, on the season. Green Bay, you know, averaged, I believe, 32 and a half rebounds a game and gave up 35.9. So that's, you know, negative 3.4 per game. And so, you know, when they weren't rebounding, they weren't winning uh, like a lot of teams. So figuring out what to do there, because, Yeah, they didn't have the biggest team and the most experienced team. And and some guys really battled. And, you know, the thing about Manny and Japana, both those guys are great offensive rebounders. You know, they, you know, Manny had 48 of his 100 rebounds were offensive. And Japana, 34 of his 67 were offensive. But getting stops and becoming a really good defensive team isn't just getting, you know, keeping the ball in front of you keeping, you know, getting a hand in the face, it's closing the possession out. And I thought Green Bay was a little bit outgunned on the defensive rebounding and over the course of the year. So that, that was one bad. And then the other was the inconsistency in defending the pick and roll. Like there were times where it looked really good. And then there were times like at the end of regulation against Purdue, Fort Wayne, where Rob Petty ends up with a dunk and nobody's within 10 feet of him. So, um, you know, getting that part going, uh, would be, I mean, just really important. So those are kind of my, my, my two bad things were pick and roll defense and and the rebounding margin for the course of the year. Did you have anything that you want to throw on there?
1: See, I thought you would have put that in your ugly, (laughs) but, uh, my bad
2: is I'm a glass overflowing guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. For my bad, I just had, you know, defensive efficiency overall. Um, you know, 318th in Ken Palm this year. That's the second worst they've ever been in the Ken Palm era, uh, you know, ironically only behind last year's team, but um, just kind of been an ongoing issue at, at Green Bay for the past few years. And I, again, I kind of think with this year, it was kind of a personnel thing, you know, not really having the right guys for the system, but still wanting to, you know, establish that system and establish a culture of playing man-to-man defense always, even, you know, even when a zone might make more sense to, you know, someone like me who doesn't know a whole lot, but still. Um, so that's kind of what I, I, I'm also noted, you know, closing out on shooters, switches and rotations, things that you all mentioned before. So, but yeah, definitely a, a work in progress. It's kind of ironic. They're actually one of the best shot blocking teams in the country. Um, but I think that's because, you know, there's so much having to be help defense and, getting beat off the dribble leading to lots of attempts given up near the basket. So yeah, overall defensive efficiency was my bad. Yeah. So how about, how about your ugly? That was my ugly was uh, they
2: allowed 76 points per game. As you alluded to Ken Palm defense was in, you know, of the active teams cause there's not even, there was only 340 something active teams going. So, you know, being 318 or 319 or whatever it was out of 340 is not good. And, you know, they allowed 47.3% shooting percentage, um, 36% from three-point land. Like, uh, there's just a lot there to get cleaned up. But the foundation and, like, the the belief in this is how we're going to play, like, I guess I'm willing to accept that this is not – we don't know how to coach defense, and this is we are instilling a philosophy that we believe will work over time. Uh, as everybody learns it, but it was—it's different. Like if you think about all the different ways to play defense and and how other teams do it, Green Bay has a different viewpoint on how to play defense than a lot of the other uh, teams in terms of how they're defending the pick and roll in particular. Because they got you know sliced up on that a lot this year, and so I think that a lot of that is just young guys that we have, inexperienced guys that they had playing in the big man positions had to learn how to read the defense and call out what was going on and guys needed to see, you know, the court. And, and I think over time, they're going to be really good. Like I just, I see them, maybe I'm just so overly optimistic here, but you think of the old butlers or you think about what Loyola is doing right now, like they're playing, you know, a speed and a style that, looks like what green bay wants to do and i just think there's such an upside for them to be really good but right now this season you know this crazy covid season the defensive efficiency was uh not not pretty
1: right is that your only ugly i mean it was pretty ugly but is that the only one
2: hey i had four goods two bads and one ugly so
1: (laughs) So I also had one ugly and it was getting swept by Milwaukee. Um, We haven't podcasted since then, but (laughs) no, we, we got to acknowledge that it happened. I mean, you know, I jotted down here. I don't care if it's a rebuilding year or what the records or circumstances are. That's just ugly. So, (laughs) I mean, can't be having that. Well, that that was my one ugly.
2: On the bright side, I mean, think back in the heyday when that was a really heated rivalry and Milwaukee had a huge fan base and they would travel up to Green Bay and they had lots of people on their message board and stuff. I mean, good gracious, getting swept by them 15 years ago, I I mean, I would have been over the edge upset. But this year is like, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there (laughs) to make a sound, (laughs) right? I mean if there's ever a year to get sucked by Milwaukee, this is the year.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true.
2: So I really, really don't think that's happening in the future going forward. I mean, if you look at the Milwaukee in year whatever, three or four of Coach Baldwin versus you know, Green Bay in year one of Will Ryan, one of those games I mean, both games were kinda of close, but the second game the score wasn't as close. So the first game was real close. I I just don't think that they're gonna be, you know, able to beat Green Bay going forward, especially with what I see the Green Bay doing, the inroads that they're making on the recruiting side of things. I think that uh, they're going to be looking at that in a couple of years going, how in the heck did we beat these guys in 2020? Cause we're not even close to them in 2022 and 2023 and beyond. So, but yeah, that, that was not enjoyable.
1: I mean, I hope you're right. Cause last time we made a prediction, it was that Green Bay would sweep that series. So <laughs> I'm not going to be making a prediction on this one. Um, so like you said, it was, you know, crazy season, unlike any other, uh, it was a free year for the players, no fans in the stands free year for me, not writing or podcasting as much, but, uh, hopefully by this summer, things are somewhat back to normal so we can have normal basketball season, you know, next year. So we'll end with this Jim just kind of looking ahead to the off season, I guess we're in the off season, so we're not looking ahead anymore, but uh, you know, Green Bay finds itself now with at least three open scholarships as we record this with a fairly decent chance that number is going to grow. But um, with three solid high school prospects coming in, what, what's on your wish list or your kind of team's needs, you know, like your needs list, I guess, if you're Will Ryan or, you know, as we head into the spring and the summer, do you have any, any needs or wishes?
2: Yeah. I got a couple that, you know, when I'm looking at this team and it's hard to know because what's going to be, you know, with guys leaving and how many spots are open, but number one, uh, with a bullet we need a vocal leader. I don't know how many games that you watch, not just green Bay games, but around college basketball where guys were having fun, benches were loud. You know, there was a, energy and activity and they're working for each other. And like for green Bay, the only guy I ever really saw talking a lot is Lucas. You know, he seemed to be the guy that everybody looked to in the timeout in the huddle before a free throw or after a play. And they need more guys like that. The way I understand it, Kamari McGee is going to be a guy like that who just kind of comes in and has that presence and personality and kind of people gravitate to him but they need more guys to be more expressive, not selfish, but just, you know, like vocal leadership. And especially with the young guys on the team and inexperienced guys, like we need people to step up in that regard. So that's my number one thing I have. Um, my number two thing I have, a, somebody can rebound the ball, you know, <laughs> whether that's developing these guys to continue to rebound or getting another guy out there that can rebound the ball. I know this: the best teams that win the most games do not get out rebounded. They just do not get out rebounded. And being negative three and a half on the boards over the season, uh, we're you know they're not going to get significantly better in the win-loss column until they can close out possessions. And uh, another one that I have is three-point shooting. You know, Green Bay took 511 three-point shots, only made 33.3 percent of them. And that's with good shooters on our team. So, you know, there are a lot of guys that have pretty shots that need to start knocking them down. Or you look at some of the guys coming in, like Braden, as an example, looks like a good shooter. Uh, Cade Meyer looks like he's good for being six eight. Looks like he's going to be a good shooter. Like, but I get some more guys that can shoot the ball. And, uh, you know, and then some, if some, one of these guys can also be, you know, replace that role of Amari as on-ball defender, primary on-ball defender for guards, that would be good too. So that's kind of the four things I'm looking at. Um, what are you kind of seeing on the wish list side of things?
1: Pretty similar. Uh, the top one for me is a plug-and-play scorer. Some guy that's going to come in right away and just get buckets because we've talked about the guys that are leaving. That's a lot of points per game walking out the door. And, you know, I don't really see – You know, unless PJ comes back, but I mean, of the guys that are on the roster right now, I don't really see, uh, you know, a a huge guy that's going to score whenever he wants. So, um, you know, there's going to be a boatload of transfers out there. I think Green Bay needs one or maybe even two that are going to come in and contribute right away. Um, My second thing was a serviceable big man. You know, especially if a guy like Kellogg or Thompson leaves, you know, then we'd even we would need even more big bodies if that was the case but uh you know, it's always tough at the mid major level to to try and get bigs but uh, you know i wrote down here a guy like elijah goss would be amazing to have even if he you know doesn't contribute that much offensively just a guy that's going to be a dominant rebounder and you know play above average defense that would be you know amazing for for this team And the last one I put, you know, just like you, shooters can never have too many of them, Um, especially because you know Green Bay played against a lot of zone defenses, so you know they they're going to get open looks, and sometimes you're going to have to shoot teams out of a zone. Um, So those are my three. That's all we're asking for. That's not too much to ask, right?
2: It's funny you say that. Like the shooting out of a zone, Uh, Colin Schaefer was four for four on threes. On the season, but like you know, Kirchman five for fifteen, Claflin seven for thirty-one, Donovan zero for four, Lucas eighteen of sixty-one, Terrence five of seven, Japana zero of one, Manny Ansong three of fourteen. So that is, I can't, ima- I can't imagine a world you know when these guys are coming back next year that they are not just absolutely getting a billion shots up this summer and honing in on that three-point shooting because these guys, I mean, like when you look at their shots, I mean, like Clapham's is a good example. You know, seven for 31 is 22%. So that's not that great statistically, but his shot looks good. It's pretty, I just, you know, there's a guy that you're like, just, he's just got to work on the longer distance and the game speed component of it, but he's probably going to be a pretty good shooter. And and Lucas, even, you know, at 29%, which isn't that great percentage wise, like his shot looks pretty good too. Uh, So, just yeah you're Like, got to be able to knock knock down those shots because that's going to f- free everything else up you know when teams look around and go yeah we can't uh you know can't sag off of you know the weak side because those guys are going to kill us like right now
1: it's like mm, no <laughs> no they're not <laughs> <laughs> right so yep well, as we wrap it up here, just a couple of things to uh, to tune into this week. If you're a, a Green Bay Phoenix fan, which I'm assuming you are, if you're listening to this podcast, but uh, so make sure you tune into the, uh, the Green Bay Phoenix coaches show Wednesday night, 6.00 PM on WDUZ radio, 107.5 FM in the Green Bay area or on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, that's not an advertisement. I'm just genuinely interested to hear what coach Ryan has to say and, uh, him and my guy, Brian Kuklinski, are going to put a bow on this first season and take a look ahead to the off season. So that's Wednesday at six. Um, and then on Friday morning, 10:45, you can watch one of green Bay's 2021 recruits, Kamari McGee and Racine St. Katz as they take on Wrightstown into division three state semifinal. Uh, if they win that one, the championship game would actually be later that night at 8:15, thanks to COVID protocols, the WIAA put into place this year. But uh yeah, make sure you watch that. It'll be fun to watch a future Phoenix try and win the state championship. Uh, that first game again, 1045 a.m. on CW14 in Green Bay and at WMLW in Milwaukee and a bunch of other TV stations statewide and streaming online as well. So, uh, yeah, Jim, any last thoughts from you? Any shout-outs or anything before we get out of here?
2: You know, last year I remember doing a springtime uh, podcast with you before the whole world, um, post COVID starting, but behold, before the whole Green Bay basketball world kind of got tipped up on side and we said 2021 is going to be the year we make basketball fun again. And we had all these plans for a road trip and all sorts of other crazy stuff that we were going to do. And that obviously all got derailed, but my, you know, one thing I'm thinking about, and it's hard right now because there's so much uncertainty, but this is supposed to be fun the reason you like it, the reason you follow it, the reason you, you know, we're passionate about it. It's fun. And I I still think, you know, when we go back to games again and, you know, we land some players here, whether they're uh, high school recruits or junior college guys or transfers from, you know, other D one programs, we're going to have a team. And it's going to be fun to cheer them on. And I look forward to doing it hopefully in person. I look forward to going to some crazy place for a road trip and having fun again. That's the, you know, my big thing is let's remember it's supposed to be fun. It's going to be fun and stay positive everybody.
1: Well said. Wow. Yeah. I just want to give a quick shout out to the SID at UWGB, Mr. Wagner. That's at GB swags on Twitter. I really enjoy and, you know, appreciate that's the social media content, the pictures, the videos, Post-game press conferences with the game recaps. You know, I really enjoyed having all that content. I'm sure I'm not the only one. So uh, keep up the good work. And I also want to shout out to you, Jim. I love all the fleets you did this season and talking hoops with you. Your passion for GB basketball is contagious. So thanks again for hopping on the podcast and spreading your knowledge.
2: I noticed that my, Knowledge wasn't limited to just Green Bay this year. It was, it was uh, across the Horizon League. <coughs> it's my championship in the Horizon League fantasy basketball. That's true. So. <laughs> I'm going to retire, though. I only played one season, and I won, so I think that's
1: a good <laughs> stopping point. Well, I wasn't going to bring <laughs> <laughs> No, you have to set it up next year. That's the rule. Oh, man. You're the commissioner had done, now.
2: Had I known that, I definitely would not have joined. <laughs> All right. I don't have any other shout outs, but I really appreciate the time <laughs> today um, and let's keep it moving. Keep, keep going forward.
1: Yep. That'll do it for this episode of the free of the Phoenix podcast. Looking forward to recording again this spring or summer or whenever we got some new guys to talk about as well as some crucial returners to break down. What will hopefully be a return to normal basketball season next year uh, in more ways than one, we need to get back to winning ways. So uh, make sure you're following at Jim Saro at Fear the phoenix on Twitter. But for now, for Jim Saro, I'm Brian Dickman. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.